Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of Numbers, chapter 27. The Lord said to Moses, Go up this mountain of the Abarim range and see the land that I have given to the Israelites. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people, as your brother Aaron was, because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled with me, you did not show my holiness before their eyes at the waters. Now these are the waters of Meribah and Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of spirits of all flesh, anoint someone over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall give him some of your authority so that all the congregation of the Israelites may obey. But he shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire for him by the decision of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in, both he and all the Israelites with him, the whole congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which God, or Jesus, had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we think on these words of Scripture this morning, that you'd give us ears to hear and you'd help us to have open hearts to receive that which you're saying to the church by your spirit, that which you're saying to us individually this morning, that we would know that you are the good shepherd who seeks us and finds us and cares for us in the space of this life. Meet us, we ask in Jesus' name, uh, amen. So we're coming to the end of at least our portion of Israel's journey in the wilderness, uh, and it concludes with this important moment in the life of Moses who has been the leader throughout this journey. He, uh, however, 
participates in the sin, really, of the first generation, and he dies with the first generation. And this is a moment when God, at the near end of his life, calls him to the mountaintop and says, look at the promised land. And there's an intimate conversation that ensues between them uh, back and forth as Moses asks for a future leader for the people of God. It's a really appropriate way to sort of conclude the Christian year because it maps nicely onto uh, Christ the King Sunday in which we recall the supreme leadership of Jesus over his church, but really also the world, frankly, in which we recall his greatness and relativize our own sense of our own greatness and importance in the work that we do, as important as it may be uh, in the world, we are waiting for him to conclude that which he has started. We're waiting for his greatness to burst onto the scenes once again. And in the week ahead, we'll move into the period of Advent when we become the longing people, waiting truly for the coming return of our great King, Jesus. But today we're thinking about his kingship, and we're thinking about that in the context of this story of Moses on the mountain. Just remind you of some of the core truths that we've learned as we've sort of been going through the wilderness journey. Um, We've said all along that one of the things that happens to us in wilderness is that it strips us of false hopes, false desires, false dreams. I think we could even say our false selves, or at least exposes the reality of all of these things that we lean into as if they're ultimate. And it's a space in which God can meet us and provide for us and lead us and remake us and grow us up into his likeness a little bit differently uh, than in times that are easy on ourselves when we can more easily live with our illusions. But the wilderness is a space in this broken world in which we experience loss. And we're in the midst of that. And so it may even feel a little weird this morning as we're saying the wilderness journey is coming to the end. Israel's about to enter the promised land, but we don't feel that way because the city just announced new lockdowns. We're entering into Thanksgiving, a time when so many people would gather with family and friends, and yet it's unsafe to do so. What do you do? How do we live with our prolonged wilderness? So let's look at Moses' story here as we think about that in the context of this pandemic in our own lives. So Moses' story, three things I'd like to point out uh, this morning, and they are communing prayer, provisional leadership, and our hope for a future beyond wilderness. So communing prayer, provisional leadership, and hope for our future. So communing prayer. When you read the story of Scripture, one of the consistent things that happens throughout is that the God of Scripture is the God who initiates conversation with humanity. He, he is striking up conversation with his people throughout the tales of Scripture. And in that, he's inviting us to become individuals, inviting in the Old Testament, certainly Israel, and inviting now the, whole, the entirety, really, of the world throughout Scripture to enter that dialogue with himself, to enter a life of communing prayer, we could even say, We've seen that consistently in the life of Moses, right? He is the one who God, to whom God calls from the burning bush. He's uh, sort of set in motion as a leader by the direct call of God. We've seen it in those exchanges between Moses and God on the mountaintop. We've seen it between uh, when Moses goes into the tent of meeting. We've heard that God thinks of Moses' life with him as a face-to-face kind of life, breath upon breath. In other words, profound intimacy of communication between Moses and God's own self. 
And all of that we've seen is consistently for the people. It's for the sake of others. It's not just for himself to have this private sort of engagement with God, but rather through his engagement with God to live into the world as a leader very differently. So here we are near the end of Moses's life. And we've remembered that Moses participated in the brokenness of the first generation too. And so he won't enter the promised land. And this is one of those moments in which Moses is called up onto the mountain to look onto the promised land just prior to his own death. It is a conversation that is situated within a part of his own story that also highlights failure, right? And that feels hard for us because we don't wanna think about Moses as like the generation of sinners that sort of aren't entering the promised land. We want a leader who is robust, who is powerful, who is consistent, whose integrity lacks nothing. That's not the kind of leader that Moses was. He's a leader like us, fragile, vulnerable. And here in this particular moment, God highlights the reality of his fragility, of his weakness. And that feels hard for us to hear sometimes because I think we understand how grace works itself out in our lives. Moses is called upon to understand his brokenness. The uh, scholar Robert Alter translates verse 14 in a little bit cumbersomely, but let me just offer it to you. He says, my instruction since you rebelled was to sanctify me through the water. That is by making manifest that I was bringing forth water from the rock rather than claiming the deed for yourself and Aaron as you struck the rock. Interesting, right? Moses, despite the depth of his own conversive life with God, failed to prioritize the presence of the Lord. He prioritized himself before the people. It's a very important note, I think, that we should hold on to because it teaches us something about our own efforts to lead or to hold whatever relative power you hold in life. We hold that power as stewards, and the aim is always to show and demonstrate the reality of God's presence and not our own. We're there because of his faithfulness. And so Moses will die in the wilderness with the first generation. But it's important for us to hold on to the reality of this gracious relationship that God has with Moses and that persists even in this moment of confession and acknowledgement of failure. It is an intimate interaction over his failure, not an interaction that pushes Moses away, but one that draws him nearer in breath-to-breath, face-to-face conversation. God tells Moses truth in the context of a connected relationship, which is something if you've ever had to tell someone a hard thing, you and I know that it's so easy to lose connection in the moment of speaking hard truth. Our tendency is to retreat, to move away, to feel shame, to sort of back off into our corners. That's not what happens here. There's an intimacy of connection. Leadership among God's people is always characterized by the stewardship of our connection with God. It's never self-directed. It's never self-referential. We have only to look up and out into our world to know that this is not the norm of leadership in the secular world, not even in the United States. It is a broken world, a broken state. 
Moses will die with his generation, but as part of God's family, how do you hold on to the reality of your connection to God in the midst of disappointments and even uncertainty? In this particular moment, it seems that Moses is simply being asked to remember something that you and I remember each Lenten season or Ash Wednesday when we take ashes to our forehead and we say, dust you are and to dust you shall return. It's all rather humbling, I think, this notion of being human in this world. Notice as though Moses' side of the conversation, right? It doesn't just linger in the space of failure, but Moses leads even here the people of God, and he leads by asking God for things. He asks that Israel would not be left without a leader, a steward, a shepherd that would shepherd the flock of God's people. And one of the primary things that you and I are invited to remember about Jesus, who is the risen king, is that he is the good shepherd who seeks us. He seeks the lost sheep. He seeks to find us. Jesus chooses to remember or invites us to know him in this particular kind of capacity. And when Jesus looked on Israel of his own day, a day that was sort of filled with all types of leadership, but he looked on the flock of God's people and he said, they're like sheep without a shepherd because they're not leading in the likeness of his own shepherding. The community needs a leader that will hold us in conversation with God, even as those leaders are held in their own conversation with God. So that when God moves, we move, so that we discern the activity of the Spirit and we follow the activity of the Spirit. So I wanna ask you this morning, how is God inviting you to live more conversively with him? What would that look like in this Advent season that we're about to enter if you lived in a more active, engaged conversation with God across the ordinary spaces of your life that, by the way, are not always joyful? They include a lot of sorrows. And for many of us, those sorrows and losses have only been amplified in this season of COVID. How would God invite you to know his conversive, loving presence in the midst of ordinary life and ordinary suffering as you live into this world that is not yet as it will be. Moses communed with God in prayer. Now, second, provisional leadership. Moses is to lay his hands, right? God, rather, God answers back, right? So Moses asks for a leader and God says, yes, you will have a leader or Israel will have a leader. It's Joshua. He's chosen to lead God's people, but it's different. The authority is sort of a part of Moses's authority. And all the way that the narrator is telling this story is meant for us to think, okay, God's gonna provide a leader, but not Moses. And it keeps traveling through this, right? Moses is to lay his hands on Joshua, imparting a portion of his authority or his majesty, his grandeur. The people are to understand that Joshua's ascent to leadership is connected with all that God is doing, has done in the past through Moses, but it's not going to be exactly the same as Moses' leadership. Joshua will keep the conversation with God going and his encounter with God, but it isn't even going to be the same kind of face-to-face, breath-upon-breath type of conversation. Rather, Joshua will inquire by the priest, Eleazar, who will utilize the Urim and the Thurim, and it's a, which is it's like a, a dice-like little device that was used to sort of simply, it's like flipping a coin. Yes or no, Lord? So there's a partial dimension of the communication. Something's not like it was. 
And yet this is what God is providing, a partial authority, a partial vision, a partial sort of communicative presence even. Our leadership is provisional. And the narrator wants us to understand that about what is happening next for Israel. In other words, we're even, I think, to understand that all that would happen for Israel as it entered the promised land was not exactly as it ought to be. It was still going to have this provisional quality. In other words, they haven't arrived home yet, even, in the midst of this promised land. And this is the pattern for leaders throughout the history of God's people. And even today in the history of the church, we are stewards of that which God is doing. We're a part of a greater authority than our own. We're a part of something that God is doing and we tap into it. We gesture to the reality of it. So let me ask you this. How is God inviting you to look upon your relative power, your relative leadership in the world? How is he inviting you to understand the provisional quality of it? And can you find hope in that provisional quality? So rather than, in other words, thinking you've got to be the person with all the answers, or you've got to have, you know, every answer for every circumstance of life, or you've got to have everything that you need for the next iteration, that maybe God has asked each of us to live into a future that we don't yet know, and that we actually can't see ourselves into. But he will. He is with us. He cares, he carries you, he carries me, he carries us as his own burden. He moves the story of his kingdom come forward inch by inch, step by step. And he says, your life is a part of that. And so even if you look on your life and you're in a space where your health is failing or you've heard bad news about your own health or someone that you care about, one of the things that we get to invite ourselves into when we think about the provisional quality of our own lives is that our lives are caught up into the larger story of who Jesus is and all that God is doing in Jesus. Our story didn't begin with our birth and it doesn't end with our death. But God invites us into a much larger history, a much larger story than any one of us could possibly live between the space of our own birth and our own death. So that is our hope. So finally, our hope for a future beyond wilderness. So Israel waited for a future that God didn't fully bring into existence, even in the promised land. And when you begin to tease this out through the pages of scripture, the rest of the story, as it were, and you jump into the pages of the New Testament, um, Hebrews chapter four, the author will say of Joshua that he led into the promised land, but that land was not the ultimate place of rest. It wasn't all that God was doing. It was part of what God was doing. It was a moment of God's activity, but it wasn't the fullness of God's activity. It wasn't the end product. Moses' prayer for a leader wouldn't be ultimately answered until the gift of Jesus, God himself in our world, the ultimate shepherd king. And even now, as we reflect on our life with Jesus, we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of waiting that's going on we don't experience the fullness of God's kingdom. And even though we might experience sort of bursts of joy and provision and plenty and goodness and health, they are always countered by the opposite. 
the opposite note, the lower note, the sadder note that is real and persists across the history of the church. Jesus invites us to be awaiting people, waiting for his future, waiting for the fullness of his world that is to come. Leslie Newbegin, a missionary and theologian in the church, he said that it is so important for us to remember that death lay between us and the final kingdom of God come. It's so humbling because we take up our work in the church and we like to think so highly of ourselves that somehow it's what this community is doing or in this moment of history that God is going to tip everything toward the kingdom of God. And I don't know a pastor and I don't know a church that hasn't somehow thought more highly of themselves than they ought. I don't. But one of the principal teachings of this Sunday and one of the principal teachings of this text is to understand the relativity of our presence, the provisional quality of our presence, that our future is bound up in the work of Jesus who is yet to finish that which he is doing. Our gospel reading this morning takes us into Matthew's accounts of Jesus's last words to his disciples. And they're powerful words that the church throughout the generations rally around because they set us on mission, this mission of proclaiming the greatness of this king and baptizing individuals, the nations, into the name of this king and teaching us to disciple. When I think about this moment in the history of the church, and I'm not alone in this, many people would cite that we have leaned into patterns of being the church, namely our activity on Sunday, as if that's all that counted. But one of the things that we see in the midst of COVID lockdown, in the midst of isolation from one another, is that maybe our pattern of discipling one another is actually far more important than we've ever thought it important. Maybe the work that we do in the lives of one another, face-to-face, breath-to-breath, and I know that feels impossible in a time of COVID, but maybe it's that work of discipleship that is so absolutely important for us if we are to embody the likeness of our King in this world. Our own importance to the task is real, but it is provisional. We are always stewards. We are dependent on the presence of Jesus who by the Spirit is with us to the very end. We are awaiting people of God, waiting for Jesus to pull all things together and make all things right. Numbers, as we've been reading through it, tells us the story of God's consistent faithfulness to show up. He shows up in the wilderness space. He doesn't avoid it, which is interesting because we might prefer to think of God as a magical God who just sort of lifts us out of trouble, but he's a God who meets us in trouble. We might prefer to think of him as a God who is sort of floaty, hovering above the earth, sort of disconnected, not engaged. But the story of Numbers tells us that God is a God deeply engaged, incarnate in the presence of trouble and difficulty and in the midst of the wilderness itself. He's a God who meets those that he communes with in the real circumstances of their lives. So some of you that are listening or here this morning, you've been through some really hard things this year. And COVID is just a piece of that, right? It's, it's like the, the, the umbrella under which all of those other hard things are happening. And we look out into our country and we, we know stories of hard things and populations that have not ever really 
escaped hard things. We're more conscious of those realities than even before. Numbers tells us that God meets us in the midst of these hard places of life, and he communes with us there in life-giving ways, in spaces of joy and in spaces of sorrow, in spaces of plenty and in spaces of want and loss. How is God inviting you to commune with him in the spaces of loss this morning or your spaces of joy? He is always with us. He is always unraveling the false dreams that we would live by. He's always unraveling the false hopes that we would put our stock in. He orders our lives. He pulls our lives to a truer dream that is found only in himself. As the quote from Jamie Smith sort of articulates, he pushes back on our illusions that we could ever figure things out on our own. When the truth is that none of us know how to see our own stories, much less our collective story, to the end, to the good end. But we serve a king this feast day, Christ the king, who is our hope and who is seeing the story through to the end. And he says, your life, wherever you are, whatever you're caught up in, is a part of this great story that I'm telling. So this morning, as you think about the political moment and however you feel about it, as you think about the continuance of this pandemic moment and however you're feeling about it, and as you think about all the other painful spots of your own life and our world history, your own personal stories, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Jesus Christ has been given the highest name that is above all other names, and all of history is moving to the place where the world itself will bend its knee to the reality of who he is and all that God is doing to put life right on the earth in him. And that's the story that we participate in this day and tomorrow and on Thursday and next Sunday as we put on our Advent hats and we begin to long and cry out, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.